This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello here and welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online show. It is the dog days here as we are really probably in, in one of the slowest weeks of the year as uh, we're still a few weeks out from Big Ten Media Days at the end of the month here in Chicago. Uh, fall camp doesn't start till August 2nd, but we thought it would be a good time to start off our thoughts on just what are the realistic expectations for this 2018 Nebraska season. I, I think um, they're all over the map. I mean, you see anywhere out there, I think, guys from five wins to, I mean, the really optimistic guy, eight or nine wins. And um, that, that I think when you look at Nebraska nationally, Nobody really knows what to expect. I think the safe bet is to say six, seven wins and, um, you know, kind of predict him to win the home games and maybe get one upset in there down the road. But I think that's that's a lot of people right now are having a hard time, Robin, um, getting a read on kind of what this team's going to look like because they were so bad a year ago. Uh, but Scott Frost, on the meantime, um, on the flip side, was so good at Central Florida, and he understands Nebraska football. What is that going to be worth here in Lincoln in 2018? Yeah, I don't think it's just national uh, perception of not knowing what Nebraska is. I think locally, too. I mean, I don't know what Nebraska is going to be, and I don't think anybody that's watched them this spring has that great of a pulse on just where this team is going to be. I think it could be definitely on both ends of the spectrum. I mean, it could be pretty bad uh, given all the turnover they're having on both sides of the ball um, the fact that you're returning a lot of players that won four games last year and then the meat grinder of a schedule they have coming up this year I mean that does not set itself up to be very favorable but we've seen Scott Frost do things very quickly and this offense could be an x-factor that takes the Big Ten by surprise and they win some games that maybe you wouldn't think they're going to win because of it I think that you know, my personal expectation is just get to six wins go to a bowl game and do well in your bowl game get some some momentum going into 2019 because i think all of us can agree next season in 2019 um is setting up to be a pretty special opportunity uh, given the much easier schedule the roster they'll have coming back and the fact that you know we see what saw what scott frost and his staff were able to do in two years at ucf i think that that is it's not easier though the games are just at home well, they don't play Michigan State. They don't play Michigan. Uh, so, I mean, you're, you're taking two of the games off this, this year's schedule next year, uh, and you get all your hard games at home. I right. Mean, I mean, that's the big – I mean, the, the road schedule this year is probably the toughest road schedule, arguably, in yeah. history and of it, Nebraska And football. it totally flips the next year where uh, you go to Colorado, Illinois, Minnesota, Purdue, and Maryland. That's your road stretch where you get uh, Ohio State – uh, Wisconsin and Iowa all at home. So, I mean, I think the, the table is set for next year to be special. That's why you're getting comments from Scott Frost himself saying in two years, we could be pretty good. I yeah. think the biggest thing, too, is that home stretch at the start, Nate. They have three out of the gates, Akron, Colorado, Troy. They'll be favorites in all three, but not by a ton against Colorado and Troy. I mean, those are going to be lower lines. They've got to get those three at home. Yeah, you have to set the table with the with your non-conference schedule, and I think that if they're able to do that, then the road to a bowl game is is fairly attainable, in my opinion. So 
I, but my expectations is kind of like you, Robin, to get to six and six, get to seven wins, and get to a bowl game, and kind of you know uh, put this season in the books and, and move on to year two. So uh, because when you look at what what they have coming back, when you look at you know how last season played out, there's I mean there's always reason for optimism but there's not a lot of tangible evidence that's going to say well yeah this is a this is going to be a team that competes for the west and this is going to be a team that that can that can put up you know nine or ten wins i, I think uh you know the coaching staff is, is probably what gives you the most optimism the the maybe the zach duvall factor the scott frost factor you know those two things that are, are kind of the the biggest unknowns that that i think that can give you a lot of optimism but uh, the, as far as expectations, reasonable expectations, if you go to six and six, uh, get to a bowl game, anything above and beyond that to me would be uh, considered a very successful season considering this schedule. Well, I think the home schedule, though, there's seven games, and they're going to be favorites in six of them. Michigan State's the only game yeah. I think you can say today that they will be a dog in at home. Now, Purdue's going to be tough. I think Minnesota's not going to be very good next year. Yeah. Um, when you look at what the Gophers have coming back, we know Illinois is not going to be very good. So they've got some really favorable games they can win at home in the Big Ten. I mean, I, when I rank home games, Michigan State's far and away the the, the toughest game. But after yeah. that, it's probably Purdue, Troy, Colorado, kind of all in that same tier. Now, they should be able to beat Purdue, Troy, and Colorado in Lincoln. Uh, but as we know, and we learned last year, you can't, you can't take anything for granted. But if they – I mean, I, I think if they can get 6-1 and one at home, they can steal one in Iowa or Northwestern. I think those are the two – games on the road that they can get or at least have the best chance to get we know wisconsin ohio state and michigan's is not going to be very easy with kind of what nebraska returns and what those teams return yeah i think those west division games are going to ultimately swing what the season is uh if they can find ways to uh you know beat northwestern on the road and win uh, against purdue at home and then you know, beat Iowa on the road. Uh, I think that changes the entire scope of what this season is. Uh, but I think there's two sections of the schedule that stand out to me. Obviously, those first three. You have to win those first three. Okay, if you do that, you're halfway to a bowl. And then it's that Purdue game on September 29th on through that Minnesota game on October 20th. You play at or you're home against Purdue, then you go to Wisconsin, you go to Northwestern, and then you have Minnesota. I think that if there's a way that they can win or go 2-2, two and two, or maybe even three and one in that stretch, um, then it, it reshapes everything going into the back end uh, of that conference schedule. But um, if you lose to Purdue, I mean, then you're potentially, um, you know, going setting yourself up for an even worse situation at Wisconsin, um, and then you lose that Northwestern game. I mean, then uh, all of a sudden we're talking about maybe postseason play being in jeopardy. Yeah, I think if you want to talk about stealing a game on the road, Northwestern is the one to me that makes the most sense. They, they seem to always play fairly well uh, against or at Northwestern mm -hmm. on, on the road. The road there. team has won all but one game all in but that Western series. Camp. Yep. Yeah. The yeah. Western Camp Hill Mary. Exactly. So and you've got a stadium that's going to be <laughs> probably 75% Nebraska fans uh, for that game. And, uh, I mean, that, and that game always seems to be a, a close one. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think that's the game that Nebraska could possibly steal on the road. Uh, yeah, you have to take care of business at home. And, and if you could do that, plus steal maybe a Northwestern game or, or an Iowa game, that would probably be the other one that, that I feel that Nebraska should play well in or, or has a chance at stealing on the road. Uh, then you're talking about, you know, a pretty successful season. 
um, you know, and, and kind of rolling into 2019 feeling pretty good about yourself. Well, and that Michigan State game is interesting, too, because, um, you know, talking with uh, you know, the Michigan State rivals guy for our spring recaps, and we had him look all the way ahead to his early outlook on Nebraska versus Michigan State this season. Apparently, Spartan fans are very concerned about that being the perfect recipe of a trap game. Um, for one, Nebraska, for whatever reason, has played really well against Michigan State uh, for years now. Um, two, for what so Michigan State schedule they have their bye week on September 15th and then they don't have another oh. bye for nine straight games going into that Nebraska game and it's also on the heels of the Ohio State game so you want to talk about a potential emotional letdown uh, for Michigan State add in with Nebraska's just weird you know advantages they've had over Michigan State that could be that one game when you look at the schedule that Nebraska wins that maybe they shouldn't win just because of the dynamics surrounding that and Nebraska's always played Michigan State tough too and we, as we know in Michigan State's had some really good teams lose to Nebraska most notably in Lincoln when they went to the college football playoff they mm -hmm. lost in Lincoln um, you know even the year Nebraska played really poorly in East Lansing. They almost pulled it off at the end of the game when DeMorne Pearsonell ran that punt yeah, back. Alonzo Moore had the opportunity to make that catch. <laughs> that would have been yeah. – I mean, Bo Bellini may still be here yeah. if they win that game at Michigan State. But, um, yeah, that's one from a talent perspective. You know Michigan State's talent is not an Ohio State-level talent. They're just coached up better. And that's why you hope maybe in Lincoln the game time is set at a favorable time to come in there and, and have a great atmosphere and pull off the upset. Yeah. Well, the, having that bye week so early. Yeah. I mean, that's and, and so they're so here's the deal. They play Utah State, Arizona State, then they're off September 15th. Then they open their conference schedule against Indiana, and then they play Central Michigan on September 29th. Like, I don't understand who thought that was a good idea, why that September 29th date wasn't your bye. But, uh, they again, Nebraska will be nine straight weeks wow. of football without a break. And so that could be a worn-down, beat-up team. And then you add in, it's on the heels of Ohio State. I mean, that, that could be a trap game uh, to the full extent. All right, well, we have a full show here on tap as well as um, we're going to continue our top 40 Husker player list. We've gone through the top players for Nebraska going into this season. Uh, we're going to give our thoughts on the top 40 um, as we are now in, inside the top 20 um, and we're going to talk about players number 11 uh, to 20 here today. And then uh, later on in the show, Nate Klaus is going to give us a complete snapshot of Nebraska's defensive recruiting class. That's all next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, and Robin Washett as we are going to continue our most significant Huskers here going into the 2018 season. We are in the top 20 now, players 16 uh, to 20 here in this segment, guys. And uh, coming in at number 20 as we kind of start the list off, defensive lineman Khalil Davis. Robin, uh, voting on him was kind of all, all over the map as well. Yeah, I mean, he was as low as 29th where you had him and as high as 13th where Mike Mattia had him. So um, he fits the mold of that guy that, I think we all think can be good, 
we just need to see it first. Uh, you know, I, I'm a little bit more optimistic about his potential because I think that he can play inside or out, and I think that versatility lends itself to just seeing the field more. So he's going to have opportunities, but can he be that playmaker um, to take that next step? And I think that that's kind of where I'm sure, Sean, your thinking was uh, you had him at the lowest, uh, and Nate, you had him at 26 too, so maybe you can chime in too. But, um, you know, I think that is good. The, the jury uh, or the verdict is still out on, you know, how good – Khalil Davis can be well yeah I, I think that uh, the the potential is there uh, for me this is the year if Khalil Davis is going to do it this is the year that he needs to do it because up to this point he he really hasn't had a whole lot of production uh, he really hasn't pushed the push the or forced the issue for himself to to get on the field to to become more of a productive player so uh, yeah, I think that his versatility uh, lends itself to, to him possibly having a breakthrough year uh, because much like his twin brother Carlos, I, I think that he could slot in basically anywhere up uh, across that defensive front. But um, this is kind of a, a make it or break it season for me, at least uh, in terms of Khalil Davis's production. I think if Nebraska is still in a 4-3 defense, Khalil and Carlos yeah. would be much better. Um, but they really lack the length and the tools to be three, four guys, but they've done their best to kind of adapt. And that's why I have him lower. I think he's a very talented, a very explosive, a very strong player. Um, but I, I just question, is this scheme really the best for him? And he's made the most of it. He's um, had some good numbers last year, but that's where I had him at 20. I mean, that's still not low by any means, but let's move it on, guys. Number 19. Um, offensive lineman Cole Conrad with Michael Decker's departure. Um, maybe the odds on favorite at this point to be the starting center. It just depends on kind of how Greg Austin wants to work that group and get his quote-unquote best five on the field. Yeah, I think Conrad has kind of been a lightning rod, especially on our message board, just because – you know, we've seen a lot of football from him, and it had, hasn't always been that good. He but, played with a bad shoulder last yeah, year. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so there's a reason that Greg Austin is singling out Cole Conrad as potentially the front runner to be the starting next center next season, despite hardly practicing at all this spring. I think they see uh, what he can be. I mean, obviously he's played – almost every position on the offensive line um, and he is a vocal leader that I think that can't be understated too I mean to play center you got to be more than just a good football player you got to be the quarterback of the offensive line the guys making the call uh, the blocking adjustments you know pre-snap um, so you have to have a voice and I think Cole Conrad has that voice he's got a lot of respect within that locker room and um, I think that if he's healthy, he can be more than serviceable and be the, the starting center that they're looking for uh, next season. Well, and the, the big thing for me is that he's entering his senior year and he said that he's completely transformed his body, that, that uh, you know, the, the transformation that took place from the end of last season up until, you know, the end of spring football uh, you know, was was drastic, and I think for a senior to do that, I mean, a lot of times you you see a little bit of gains, but the complete transformations, you know, for for a guy that's entering their fifth season is. Um, you know, I, I think pretty telling uh, about what uh, what maybe they've been doing in the past. I mean, that's just not something that you see a whole lot. So now that he's healthy, now that he's transformed his body, um, I think that he's going to have, uh, you know, take a huge step forward and at a critical position like that center spot along this offensive line, I think that he's going to be uh, a key guy for, for Nebraska's offense to roll. And, I, I you know, Cole's a, a tough kid, a prideful guy. He, he probably could have hung it up after the Oregon game. He hurt his shoulder in week two. 
He played the whole season with that bad shoulder, and and, and reflected of his play. There's no question from his standard he had a poor season, so hopefully he can get it going. All right, moving on now, number 18, uh, linebacker Mohamed Berry. Um, pretty consistent voting for the most part on him. Um, four of us had him 17 to 23. One guy, Greg, had him at 11. Uh, but you look at Barry, he's going to be a projected starter right now. From what you hear, him and Dedrick Young look to be the two inside guys, but Will Honus is going to be right up there with him as well. At least that's where it was at coming out of the spring. Um, you just get the sense he's a guy that's going to have a breakout season in this defense under Eric Shenander based on kind of what we've heard so far. Well, yeah, and regardless of if he starts or not, I think that's probably some competition, especially between Honus and Barry, that goes on in the fall. But uh, you know, whoever wins that job, they're going to play a lot of linebackers and especially inside guys. And so you know, he's going to see the field a lot, regardless of you know if he starts or not. And I think that he is the guy that a lot of fans are really excited about. Um, he's got just the athleticism that Nebraska's been looking for at the linebacker position for a long time. I mean, he's, he's an aggressive player um, who I thought was going to have a much bigger year last year than what he did. And I probably chalked that up to just a poor scheme um, that didn't put him in good positions. But I think with the attacking nature of Eric Chenander's defense and the emphasis they put on making plays when you know, no fear of failure and all that, that lends itself to maximizing Muhammad Berry's um, potential far more than anything that he saw the past two seasons. Yeah, I, I think that I couldn't agree with you more there because when you go back and you watch him as a high school player, uh, I mean, he was just an instinctual playmaker. I mean, this is a guy that was constantly disrupting everything from all over the field, regardless of what position he was playing that week. And he got away from that. I mean, in the different schemes that he was in here, I mean, it, he's he, he told me in the spring that he kind of, you know, it felt like he – the schemes kind of took that instinction, you know, the instinctual playmaking ability away from him. And now he's completely rejuvenated in this scheme with the coaching under Barrett Rude. And, and he feels like he's back to his old self. And I think he's poised for a huge year. Now, moving on now, we have a tie at 16. Uh, let's first go with Matt Farniak. Um, pretty consistent voting as well. Um, I guess I'll go with you, Nate, on this out of the gates because you had Matt Farniak number 23. Um, we had him as high as 12. I had him at 14. Uh, projected starting right tackle going into his true sophomore year. Um, I mean, his value, obviously, you can't speak enough because the lack of tackles. Kind of your idea or thought process at number 23. Yeah, I, I mean, I just looked at uh, – I think it was just a kind of a, a deal where you look at the, the top five guys that, that Nebraska is going to need to perform very well. Uh, obviously, Matt falls into that category, uh, but I, I place a higher value on some of the other guys, uh, like a like a, a Tanner Farmer, a Gerald Foster, uh, Cole Conrad, and Brendan Hymas. You know, so I kind of see Matt Farniak as being that fifth guy because uh, I, I think that those other those other positions, those other players with their experience. Um, are going to be needed uh, to, to perform at a little bit higher level. But that's not to say that, that Matt's not an important part of this, this offense, an important part of this team going forward. Yeah, and again, it's what's behind him. That's the biggest yeah. question that – gives him uh, quite a bit of value uh, if, you know they have injury issues at tackle um, they're going to have some real problems you know if Hymas or Farniak were to miss any time uh, I just don't see any established depth right, right there that um, makes you feel very good about you know picking up where they leave off and then guys the last one here coming in tied at 16 was safety Aaron Williams and um, you know from a pure just notoriety standpoint is a high profile defensive guy on this roster he was at Big Ten media days representing Nebraska a year ago 
Um, he made a signature play against Wisconsin for an interception. I think the I had him the highest by far, at number four. And I just think, you know, some of the things you go back and you remember Bob Diaco and Bob Elliott said he was one of the most intelligent guys. He's kind of the quarterback of the back end. Um, I know they have high thoughts and expectations for him. The question will be that shoulder injury. He suffered a shoulder injury at the very end of spring in the red-white spring game. How is he going to come back from that? He's going to be limited in fall camp with contact. Is that shoulder going to be something that bothers him? But I'm honestly a little surprised. Even Mike had him as low as 31. Yeah. I mean, seriously. I mean, this is – if you were to rank guys of high profile in this defense, he's got to be in the top two or three in my opinion. Well, what's funny too is as bad as Nebraska's defense was last year, Aaron Williams was probably the only guy making plays. I mean, he led the team with three takeaways, scored their only defensive touchdown of the year with that pick six against Wisconsin, uh, while also getting 48 tackles to rank fourth on the team. So, I mean, he did a little bit of everything. It was kind of the one consistent piece on an otherwise really, really, really bad defense. So uh, I think part of it is just, you know, I think that injury. The shoulder injury, yeah, is that why you know, guys That's why I put him at 17th. That played, that played a part of it, I, yeah. You don't know what you're going to – I mean, with that shoulder injury, one wrong hit and all of a sudden he's on the bench. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Aaron Williams. Um, you know, the, you can't argue with what healthy, he's Healthy, he's a top eight guy. Yes, yeah. no doubt about it. I agree. It. I would have had him in the top ten if he was healthy. Yeah, no, that will be something to watch because they need him to be healthy and, and they don't want this to be kind of a lingering week-to-week thing or is he playing or is he not playing? Does he come in games, come out of games? Um, you hope that he can get through August healthy. But uh, when we come back, we're going to get inside our top 15. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett as we are going through our top 40 players for the 2018 season. And right now we're looking at players number 11 to 15 as we voted um, on this a few weeks back. And uh, guys, starting off the list at 15, um, you know, all of us have high hopes for him, Will Honus. And this is all really coming off kind of how Nebraska recruited him um, and, you know, brought him in. Um, still the voting, though, was all over the map. Uh, Robin had him at fifth. Greg had him at 35. I had him at 15, Nate 24, Mike sixth. Um, there's just a big, you know, expectation level difference on Will Honus. I can share right now, he's not a starter right now. Will, um, you know, but that doesn't necessarily mean much because Dedrick Young and Mo Berry will start. But today, if they played a game tomorrow, Honus would be coming in. But I would imagine all of them will play uh, but still, Robin, you're very high on Will Honus coming in. I am. And so I'll, I'll admit it's probably a bit high with my voting, but I just think that he is the ultimate gamer player. He's not the strongest guy. He's not the fastest guy. He's not the flashiest playmaker. But when you watch him in that spring game, he made some plays where I did a double take. I just, one play in particular stands out where he blitzed the A-gap right up the gut, blew up a running back who tried to chip him and got what would have been a sack that you just made a play that was a wow moment. And I think that that's the type of player he is. He's not going to overly impress you with his physical abilities, but when the ball is snapped and they're out there playing actual football, um, he is a legit player. And so, you know, he's not, not the athlete Mo Berry is. He doesn't have the college experience as Dedrick Young, but he is going to play. If it started or not, he's going to play a lot. And I think eventually he has an opportunity to emerge as, um, you know, one of the vocal leaders of that defense, especially next year after 
after Dedrick Young graduates. Yeah, I, I see. I have high expectations for Will Honus. Uh, but at this point in time, uh, you know, there's still a lot of unknowns about the guy. And, and so at, as the, at the time of the voting, I saw him as the third inside linebacker. Uh, and so – um, and I, so I ranked him accordingly, at least where I, I, I see some, a lot of people who are going to have a, a larger impact or maybe n- that Nebraska needs to have a larger impact uh, ahead of him. You're just going to see more guys play on this defense, too, and, and we're yeah. not used to that. I, yeah. I think we've been so used to basically like an 11-man team playing and no one coming off the bench. There's going to be more guys that play, well, and that's how it should have always been at Nebraska. Yeah, absolutely. And Barrett Root said this spring he wants to play four to six inside linebackers, just at inside linebacker per game. So, I mean, we're starter or not, guys are going to play, and obviously injuries can factor in as well. All right, let's move on. And sticking at linebacker, Dedrick Young at number 14, um, really fairly consistent anywhere from 11 to 22. Mike had him at 20. I want to know who Mike Haddon is like. (laughs) I feel like every one of Mike's is way higher than uh, we thought going in. But Dedrick Young right now would be Nebraska's number one inside linebacker, according to the coaches. Comes in at number 14, and I think he's going to have a big year. Yeah, I mean, basically since he enrolled early as a freshman in 2015, I thought that he had a a real shot to be uh, a fixture on this defense. And Unfortunately, he's gone through his, his share of ups and downs. Uh, you know, he's had some real problems, particularly when he's asked to defend in space and coverage. Um, he just did not have that ability as an outside linebacker in a 4-3 to run with some of those you know, skill position players. And then when they moved to a 3-4, um, I think he did a little bit better. Um, and, you know, statistically, um, he's going to end up as one of the most productive linebackers Nebraska's had in a long time. I mean, he's already in the top 40 in career tackles um, and has a chance to really vault up that list when all is said and done. And if he's going to have that type of role, which, um, Sean, all signs are pointing to him being, you know, a key piece in that linebacking core, uh, the table is set for him to have his best year yet. Um, And, again, I think that this defense might suit itself to his skill set and his style of play far better than what he's been in the past couple of seasons. Yeah, I mean, you, when when you would talk to Barrett Root in the spring about his guys, he, he would always bring up Dedrick Young and, and speak highly of him. I, I think that um, he obviously thinks an awful lot of Dedrick, and I think that the scheme is going to play to his strengths a little bit more. Um, he's going to have he he's going to have help. Uh, I think sometimes he was hesitant when, especially when trying to make plays in space, um, and, and because you know uh, if you're if you're not 100 percent confident in your ability to make a play in space, I, I think you're going to be a little slower. And when you're operating a little slower, it probably leads to more mistakes. And, and in this in this defense, when um, you're going to ha- see a lot more, you know, 11 hats flown to the football. Um, and you know that if you if you're playing with the light re- light re- right leverage, uh, you're going to have help there, regardless of whether or not you make the play. I think we're going to see Dedrick Young uh, be very productive in his senior season. All right, moving on here um, in the top 40, Ben Stilley, number 13 at defensive end, anywhere from 7 to 29. Um, <laughs> GP on, kind of skewed that one. Yeah, I mean, really, I had him at 18. You could make the case. I, I really thought hard. I mean, it was so – we all talked about how hard this was. But Ben Stilley, they love him. He's a definite culture guy in this locker room, someone that I think will be a captain at Nebraska by the time he's a senior. Um, but he's, to me, going to be one of the players that really thrives in the Scott Frost system. Yeah, Nate and Mike both had him in their top ten. Nate at seven, Mike at eight. I had him at 12. Sean, you at 18th and then <laughs> – 
Greg at 29th. Come on, uh, Greg. So, you know, the, the outlier there. But, uh, you know, this is a guy, I mean, he was he's their top returning pass rusher. He led the team with three and a half sacks last year and 10 tackles for lost. And so as far as getting to the quarterback, he was the best guy they had last year as a redshirt freshman. And now uh, going into his sophomore year, uh, you look at the, some of the pictures uh, strength coach Zach Duvall has posted. There's a picture of, like, Ben Stilley's back, and dude is just a beast <laughs> right now. So um, clearly he's far from reaching his ceiling and I think has a long way to improve and will only continue to get better. But what's impressed me as much as anything is as young as he is, he's become a really respected leader on that defense. Um, you know, Going into the spring practice, I remember Eric Shenander mentioned Stilly by name along with Mick Stoltenberg as one of those like go to, you know, in state Nebraska guys that they want to build their foundation upon. And so I mean to be talked about in in that, those extents by your coaching staff before you even had a full practice with them speaks a lot about what this staff thinks of Ben Stilly and how good he could be going forward. Well, we we did not see hardly any disruptive plays uh, out of the defense last year. And the ones that we did see were usually caused by Ben Stilly. Mm-hmm. And so for that reason, now that they're in a, in a more of an attacking scheme, uh, and I, I think that Ben Stilly is is going to be poised for a huge year, and uh, it's going to be a guy that that they kind of have to rely upon to be disruptive uh, in this new in this new defense. So for that reason is is why I have him squarely in the top ten at number seven. Number twelve, uh, wide receiver Tyjon Lindsey. Um, he will go into the year. Um, kind of playing that duck R receiver along with J.D. Spielman. But of all the guys on offense, he is looked to be maybe the biggest benefactor of the shift into Scott Frost's system. Uh, big things expected from Tyjon Lindsey. We had him ranked anywhere from 7 to 19th. Um, you know, I had him the lowest at 19 just because I still want to see more. But I'm really, really optimistic that he's going to be a guy that's going to put up big numbers this year. Uh, didn't do a lot as a freshman. Um, but has a real chance to explode this year in the system. Yeah, especially at that duck R. I mean, that that is probably the most intriguing position of this offense for me, uh, just because, you know, obviously we haven't seen it, and the versatility that comes along with it. I think it caters itself perfectly to what Tyjon Lindsay brings to the table. But what's fascinating about this kid is, I mean, there was a point where he was almost quitting the team because he was hospitalized on the very first winter workout uh, with the rhabdomyotosis. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I think I got it. it. And so he that was a scary deal where, I mean, he was in the hospital, like not knowing what his football future was going to hold. And to his credit, you know, there's a couple different ways you could have gone in that situation. He took the right path, came back to spring ball, and had a very, very good spring and is now in position to be um, the number one guy at a very productive position in this offense that has a chance to put up huge numbers. Well, I think for me it's the confidence. He, like you said, he had a huge spring. Um, and he's riding high on confidence right now. And last year, I think he was constantly pressing, trying to trying to live up to the expectations that he had coming in as, as a as one of the highest. Actually, I think he's the highest ranked recruit Nebraska's signed since Baker Steincooler. So, wow. um, you know, he had a lot of expectations on him, and I think that he was pressing a little bit last year, and then he kind of fell off. And so now with confidence, now that he's kind of added a lot of a lot of strength and, and muscle mass uh, to his body too. He's poised for a big year. And we don't have a lot of time here, guys, but number 11, Gerald Foster, uh, a staple on the offensive line. He was a captain a year ago. Um, I think from his standards, though, didn't have a great year, um, hoping to have a big senior season now. I'll be interested if he's a captain again this year, um, how that's going to play out with Scott Frost and how he decides to do the captain process um, and kind of 
where you know maybe the the steps forward he takes in a new system, and then maybe strength and conditioning. Yeah, I kind of group him along in the same line as a Tanner Farmer, uh, just in the, in the regard that they're senior offensive linemen that have played a lot of football, and now is the time for them to be at their best. Uh, I, mean, I mean, there's a lot riding on that offensive line, and it starts inside uh, with that interior group just because of the veteran presence they have. Um, you know, they have to be good on the field. They have to be leaders off the field. And so, uh, you know, you look at the voting, you know, he was basically, uh, I had him the lowest at 16th, and Greg had him all the way up at fifth overall. So, I mean, he's kind of been in that, um, you know, borderline top 10 range and I think a lot of that just has to do with uh, the fact that he is you know one of the veteran pieces that a lot of um, responsibilities are going to be put on his plate not only uh, just in terms of blocking but in terms of getting this line uh, ready to go for a very important year for them as a leader and as a player I think that he has all that experience and now you want to see him take take that next step forward and and kind of be kind of move into the discussion of being a an all-conference type of type of player and I think he can do that. I think under Greg Austin um, and, and under Zach Duvall, he's going to have an opportunity to really uh, to live up to that level of play. All right, next week, guys, we will unveil our top ten. Where does freshman quarterback Adrian Martinez come? We'll tell you that next week. But when we come back, we're going to talk defensive recruiting. Nate Klaus and I will go through the class and what are the biggest needs the Huskers have going forward. That's next year. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus as we're going to shift over to some recruiting talk. And we're going to look at the defensive numbers for Nebraska in the class. And, and Nate, it, it's been somewhat quiet on that front. Not a lot of numbers yet on the defensive class. And, you know, once again, Nebraska still really needs to kind of find some of those edge rushers. They need secondary guys. But let's look at what Nebraska has right now. When you look at just this defensive class as a whole, I mentioned the numbers are light, but I think you have to start with Jackson Hanna at linebacker, the four-star to Nashville, 6'3", 234. Has to be one of the top guys on the board um, for Nebraska when you look at this class. Yeah, that was a huge get for Nebraska, especially when you look at – the offers that he had. I mean, and that's the first thing that a lot of people do, uh, obviously, when, when there's a new commitment is, is, okay, well, what other schools were recruiting him? Well, with Jackson Hanna, I mean, basically the entire Southeastern Conference was recruiting him. I mean, he had offers from Alabama, LSU. Uh, I mean, essentially every single team in the Southeast was, uh, was after Jackson Hanna. So, um, it, it's pretty remarkable what Barrett Rood was able to do in, in kind of getting in, getting his foot in the door with Jackson Hanna in a short amount of time and then getting him on campus. And that's what sealed the deal is when he visited Lincoln with his father, they were completely blown away. And this is, I mean, these two had been to basically every school in the South. And, and when they got to Nebraska, they said that it was just different, you know, being around Barrett Rood and being around Scott Frost and that whole staff and, and all the, the people, the support staff from, from uh, you know, the recruiting guys to, to the academic support and, and everybody else that the student athletes kind of come, in, come into contact with on a daily basis, uh, they were all heavily involved in that unofficial visit, and that's what pushed Nebraska over the top. And so, um, you know, to, to get a guy like that as, your, as one of your inside linebacker commits – uh, at this point in the game, I think is is a really big deal. Uh, you know, and, and I, I'm I'm curious to see how his ranking will end up being. You know, because this is a guy that 
was initially in the top 250, you know, in the Rivals 250, kind of fell out, still ranked as a four-star, but fell out of the 250. Uh, I think that he's got a good shot at, at getting back into the, in the 250 uh, and, and climbing quite a ways with a strong senior season. So, uh, But regardless of what his ranking is, he fits the mold for what Nebraska really likes uh, at that li- inside linebacker position. And when you talk with Jackson and you watch his film – it's easy to see why a guy like Barrett Rude likes Jackson Hanna because they they're kind of they have some similar traits. They're they're both uh, they both kind of play the game the same way. They're both very very intelligent, smart football players, um, and and so I think for that reason you're you're right. I, he's you kind of have to start there with what they have on the board defensively. Well, then I, I think not far behind though is Garrett Nelson um, from <clears throat> from Scott's Bluff. He's been committed to Nebraska since the previous staff, but. He's a rare find for an in-state guy. 6'3", 236, state champion wrestler in the heavyweight. The guy is a grinder. He's a competitive uh, athlete. You know, he doesn't back down. He went to the Rivals camp in Chicago, didn't really need to go. Um, he went down to an FBU combiner camp in, yeah. in Kansas City, didn't really need to do that. Um, he took part in multiple camps at Nebraska this summer just because that's the kind of kid he is. And honestly, I, I almost look at it as a 1A, 1B right now. I mean, I know Jackson Hanna's ranked higher, but Garrett Nelson and the intangibles for me, Nate, have him right up there. Yeah, he, he is the ultimate competitor. I, I've not come across too many kids that are as competitive as Garrett Nelson. Uh, you know, and at the, at the first Friday Night Lights camp this June, um, he, he was there, but he was not participating because he was doing the lineman camp the next day. And the reason why he was doing the lineman camp, even though he's committed as a linebacker, is he's going to be playing defensive end for his high school. So he wanted to to come and get coached up and, and kind of refine th- some things and become a better defensive end for his own high school team, uh, even though he's, that's not what he's going to be playing at the next level. But that's that's kind of his mindset. Well, anyway – He's at the Friday Night Lights camp, and he's pacing back and forth watching these guys out there. And uh, I, I, I saw him, and I kind of gave him a, a head nod, and, and uh, he came and said hi. And, and he goes, uh, I go, what's, what's wrong? Because he was, he was acting upset, and he's like, man, I just want to be out there competing. And he was, he was pretty upset that uh, I think his dad said, you can pick one or the other. You can go Friday Night Lights uh, tonight or do the lineman camp tomorrow. And and he's like, he's like, well, I wanted to, I want to be competing, but I wanted to do the lineman camp because you, you get a put on, you know, shoulder pads and a helmet and kind of get after some people. So uh, that's just the type of competitor he is. He, he's got that wrestler mentality. I think a lot of wrestlers have have kind of that the you know competitive gene, that little maybe a little bit of a, a crazy switch uh, <laughs> that uh, that they just love to to compete uh, regardless of what the situation is, and, and that's part of the reason why Nebraska loves Garrett Nelson as much as they do is is uh, just all the intangibles. I mean, he's obviously a very athletic kid, uh, but he's the type of guy that is as competitive as he is. Uh, he raises the level of of everyone else around him because. He, he, I mean, he just the way he approaches everything from whether it's practice or in the weight room or whatever. I mean, he's the guy who's, who's always going to be first in line, sprinting from one station to the next in, uh, on the practice field. He's going to be leading things in the weight room. He's just a special, special kid. Well, then Garrett Snodgrass, another in-state guy, he's listed as an athlete, Nate. Um, probably going to be a linebacker uh, when it's all said and done, whether it's inside or outside. He could still play tight end, but <clears> – <throat> 
Um, his versatility, kind of an in-state kid with that competitive attitude, a culture guy, that the type of guy they want. They don't they don't know where they're going to put him yet. They, they just want to have him in the program. Yeah, I mean, um, you're right. I mean, he's listed as an athlete for a reason right now, and it's because in high school the kid has played basically everything. Um, you know, I mean, he's played quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Uh, on the offensive side of the football, uh, and I think you talked to his dad, Glenn Snodgrass, the head coach at York, and he, I mean, he he'll tell you that he could he could play offensive line too if he if they really needed him to do that. Um, and then defensively, he, he's again he's basically played every position on that side of the football. And I was able to watch him play, I think five times last fall, and. Each and every game, I mean, he just takes the game over. And he just makes plays and ridiculous plays. Um, and and I think that's that's what I like about him so much is he's just a great football player. I don't know exactly where his ideal fit is at the next level, but I promise you, re- regardless of where he ends up playing, he's going to make football. He's going to make plays at Nebraska. So um, yeah, you more than likely be on the defensive side of the football, unless he kind of hits a little bit of a growth spurt, then I could see him ending up at, at tight end because he's about a little over a hair over six three right now. Um, you know, if he if he gained another inch or two, I, I could see him maybe playing um, you know tight end at the next level. But uh, regardless, he, again, he's uh, he's. A football player, instinctive football player, son of a coach. Uh, you, there's a lot to like about. Gary and then, Snodgrass. lastly, Nate, I think the the sleeper in this defensive class from Nebraska um, is Ethan Piper out of Norfolk Catholic. Um, we were really impressed with him at Nebraska's Friday Night Lights camp. He is a lean, what two seventy, two seventy five, two seventy nine is what he weighed in at, at the camp. Four eight forty kid, thirty one yep. inch vertical. Um, so. All the things that Zach Duvall likes. He's got lean body mass with explosion, mm-hmm. and it will be interesting. I'll, I'll be curious how they work him in as a defensive end in the system or kind of where he grows into, but, man, the numbers are definitely there for Ethan Piper. Yeah, he's got the versatility, I think, to play anywhere up front for Nebraska from from a five-tech DN to, to maybe even growing into a nose tackle. I, I mean – his his combination of strength and explosion is is really impressive, and I think, given if he had had more exposure, you you you'd put Ethan Piper in Texas or Florida or California or a place like that, he would have had probably fifteen twenty offers. I think, uh, uh, and there's a reason why Nebraska and Iowa were after him so hard, and that's that's because he's got that that frame and athleticism that's that's pretty hard to come by. Uh, and like you said, he, he weighed in. He was 279 at the Friday Night Lights camp, and he ran a 48140. Uh, and that's, that's moving. <laughs> and and he had a he's he's got a vertical jump well over 30 inches. He had a better vertical than a lot of receivers yeah. and defensive backs that are at the same camp. Exactly. So I mean, for a kid that size to to be able to to do what he could do is is pretty impressive. So. Um, and, and again, he's a, a really competitive guy, very smart kid. He has all the intangibles too, that you like. So, uh, I think that he's probably the most underrated, uh, commit in this entire class. He, he's a guy that not a lot of people talk about, and I'm, I'm not sure why. I don't know if it's just because, you know, he's, he's a lineman, he's an in-state guy or, or I don't know. Uh, but Ethan Piper at the end of the day, I think is going to end up having a one heck of a career at, at Nebraska. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about more what Nebraska needs now on defense, and there's a lot of needs still on that board. Nate will give us his thoughts on that next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 
And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Final segment of this week's show as we continue our big picture look now of Nebraska's defensive recruiting class. We just went through the four guys they have. It's really light on the numbers, Nate. You look at it right now, I mean, do you see eight, nine more defensive guys? When you look at what is out there, kind of where they're at with the board, how many more defensive guys can you see added in this class? I wouldn't be surprised if we saw 11 to 12 more guys added to this class. I, I, I think that's going to be a, a large number. Um, you know, and probably they're at 11 commits now. I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if it's if it's a double-digit uh, defensive players added. I mean, defensive back alone, I, I think that we'll see them take four, maybe five defensive backs. Uh, because and the Juco guys, too. <clears throat> like, that's where I think they haven't really delved into that on defense, on defense yet, Nate, where you, where you could see them – go on a run of maybe two to three juco guys here you know whenever the time is right yeah absolutely i i mean the the lone like the main defensive juco player they've made a, a push for at this point in time is jermaine johnson the outside linebacker out of independence uh community college and they're in good in shape with him yeah uh, yeah uh, they, i mean they're there's a lot the competition is strong um you know I, I think that they're still in line to to get him on campus once again i'm not sure if it'll be for an official visit or not i mean he has taken one heck of a tour this summer uh and, and i think the timing of his visit to nebraska fell um you know it was less than ideal I, i'll put it that way uh because all of nebraska's coaches were out on the road recruiting during the spring evaluation period um, they stopped by kind of on their way on his way home to Minnesota uh, from Independence. And, and, you know, he was only he was only on campus for, um, you know, three or four hours instead of, you know, being on campus for an entire weekend like he's taken to to Georgia and, and Texas A&M and Oklahoma and, and Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Oregon. I mean, he's taken a ton of visits um, you know, since that, that trip to Nebraska. So I think it's going to be crucial for the Huskers to kind of get him back on campus, um, you know, whether it be for official or unofficial. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's, you know, the, a deal breaker, but he needs to, to be on campus once again to, to be around the coaching staff and kind of get have the red carpet rolled out for him a little bit like everyone else has been able to do. All right, Nate, you mentioned him. Now let, let's kind of just give me five names that – you really have on that wish list for defensive players right now? Well, I think you have to start with Nick Henrich out of Omaha Burke. No you know, question. Yeah, the, the inside linebacker there, um, in-state guy, and and also position to need. They, the, you know, after they had some transfers out of the, that position group um, here over the last month or two, I think it's, it's huge. Um, you know, they're kind of thin all of a sudden. They went from being, you know, having quite a few numbers there to, to being relatively thin. And so when you combine that with, with the skills of Nick Henrich and then factor in that he's an in-state guy, I think that he's right at the top of the board, uh, ultimate priority there. And then you look at who's recruiting him. Well, some of your biggest foes in the Big Ten, uh, Big Ten West are, are after him, uh, Iowa, and probably most importantly, Wisconsin. Uh, I think that after his official visit to to the uh, to Madison, uh, you know, the, the kind of solidified Wisconsin as being a team that's going to be right towards the top of, of his list uh, up until he makes a decision. Now, the good thing was that that Nebraska got him on their campus less than 24 hours after that official visit ended. And and a lot of times, you know, when when you take an official visit, I've never really you don't hear too many kids say that oh, the trip didn't go very well. I mean, every official visit is is fun. 
Uh, and there's a lot of times there's that post visit high where you're, all you do is think about, you know, how much fun you had on your trip and how awesome it was. Well, Nebraska was able to kind of uh, limit that post visit high by getting Nick Henrich and his family on campus less than 24 hours after he was uh, visiting the Badgers. So uh, I, I, I think that this is coming down to being a, a Nebraska-Wisconsin battle. And, and for, for that reason uh, and everything else that I kind of described about Nick Henrich, I, I think that he's arguably the most important recruit on the defensive side of the football for the Huskers. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus, as we uh, discuss the defensive needs here in the class. What are they going to do at defensive line? We already mentioned Ethan Piper in our last segment. Yep. But where do you see that need? I mean, do they, they need to find, obviously, that – true nose type of guy Tony Fair we thought was going to be somebody that was going to jump in um, and he's still on the board but has kind of delayed his announcement even though he was looking to announce to Nebraska a few weeks back and it never came through it's about a month 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 and a half ago now it seems like Uh, but yeah Tony Fair is still on the board and he is that true nose tackle I mean 6'3 330 or whatever he is um, he, he fits that mold as that nose tackle. Um, you know, I, I think they want to add one, maybe two nose tackles uh, in this class. Um, for sure, two more defensive ends. And that seems to be a little bit more clear cut than, than uh, you know, the nose tackle position because you have Masai Newsom out of Iowa and then four-star uh, Rivals 250 athlete slash DN Ty Robinson out of Arizona. Uh, who has, you know, both these guys have visited Lincoln several times. Ty Robinson has some some ties to the state. Uh, both of his parents went to Shattern State College. Uh, I think his his mom is from O'Neill, Nebraska, originally. So, uh, and they have a lot of he has a lot of family that still lives in the state. So, um, you know, I think Nebraska is sitting really well with both those guys. And and uh, you know, it's my impression that those two guys are right at the top of the board uh, at the defensive end board. Uh, for the Huskers, and and I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if I had to if I had to predict today if Nebraska gets both those guys or not, I would say yes. I, I think Nebraska is in a really good spot, especially with Newsom. I think that he's more likely out of the two, uh, but I, I think that Nebraska ends up getting both those guys, and and you combine you know those two with uh, with the Ethan Piper that they already have. Uh, I think that's a pretty good start to, to your defensive line recruiting. Well, with, with Nick Henrich and Messiah Newsom, those are two really big Iowa-Nebraska battles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Henrich is, is Wisconsin as well in, in that mix. And I, I think really, honestly, it might be down to Nebraska and Wisconsin. I, mean, I, I don't know where the Hawkeyes sit, but I think they're third uh, from everything I've heard. Um, so it, that that's going to be a big thing to watch to see kind of how that plays out with Iowa and Nebraska as um, Eric Shenander, particularly Nebraska's defensive coordinator, I mean, he has m- not been shy about it. He's really trying to get into Iowa. Yeah, he's making a strong push there, and people are taking notice. I- I've talked with some people, some coaches and some trainers and-, and people in the recruiting circles in the state of Iowa that have have taken notice of, of Eric Shenander's efforts in the state and just how much ground that he covered in the state this spring. He was all over the place, um, and they've not only pushing for some guys like uh, – uh, like a 2019 DN Masai Newsom, but uh, un- a ton of underclassmen that they've offered and they're pushing hard for. Um, so I, I think that I think Iowa's kind of on alert here. Um, you know, it's not going to be necessarily a walk in the park to get any in-state guy that that they want to get. You know, I, they're still trust me, they're still going to get their fair share. Of they're going to get guys. 89, just like Nebraska. Exactly, it's the Noah fan situation. Yep. Can they get that one from Nebraska? 
And can Nebraska kind of get the Noah Fant type of guy out of Iowa? And that, that's Messiah Newsom right now. Exactly. That's Messiah Newsom. You know, it, it, prior to the spring, if you had asked any, you know, if you had asked Iowa if they were going to get Messiah Newsom, absolutely. Any it, Eastern guy yeah, has gone to Iowa. It's a done deal. Messiah Newsom's going to Iowa. Well, all of a sudden, he visits Nebraska four times in the span of about five weeks or so. Uh, and the, the script has been flipped. And I think since that point in time, Nebraska's been the odds-on favorite to get Messiah Newsom, and I still think it's going to end up being that way. All right, well, that wraps it up here for this week's show as uh, we gave you a pretty good look there on what to watch here for Nebraska's defensive recruiting here as things move in closer to the start of this 2018 season. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.